Hey, Dirty Mo listeners, this is Dylan Hart Jr. It's May, and you know what that means. The Indianapolis 500 is just around the corner. Thankfully, we have Speed Street with IndyCar racer Connor Daly and comedian Joey Molinero. They're going to get us ready to go. Follow Speed Street so you never miss an episode and get ready for the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Alas, we have turned the calendar to the month of May in Indianapolis and across the globe, but most importantly, in Indianapolis, the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500 is mere weeks away. We could not be more excited about it. Thanks for being with us here on Speed Street. I'm Joey Molinero. If you're new to the show, thanks for being with us. Of course, with Dirty Ball Media, we got Connor Daly, who we'll get to in just a second. Of course, the co-host of this program. We got another great guest on the show today. Formula F1 driver and current DJ music producer, all things really great snake pit style music house music you could say Jaime Algeshwire is on the show that's is that wrong <laughs> is Jaime, that how it's, it's all right Jaime Algeshwari shit <laughs> the American Algeshwari God Algeshwari yeah I was actually looking forward <laughs> to this moment because I did I it, it's a very hard to pronounce name. Uh, I even asked, I, I will play a qu- clip really quick. We had a friend of the show, Will Buxton. I asked him, I said, hey, we're, we're going to interview uh, Jaime, but please send me a voice note to pronounce his name. And so this is what Will Buxton sent me. Jaime Algaswari. So it's Jaime, like, hi, mate. <laughs> and then Algaswari. Like a sh on algaswari or shwari, like a shawarma kebab. <laughs> like a shawarma kebab. So he's uh, Will Buxton, the uh, chief of pronunciation of Formula One drivers. Uh, he did help us out there. Hey, very excited about that guest. It's an awesome, awesome interview. Yeah, it really is. He's very open about his experience in Formula One. And that's a bad broadcast move by you right there, Con. <laughs> we would make sure you get the pronunciation I'm supposed to be the broadcast guy. Slept <laughs> in the first two minutes. But it's hard. It's all right. It is. It got stuck on other things. Uh, but that that is Connor Daly who you hear right there. Connor, how we feeling, man? May is here. You feeling good? Yeah, it's great to finally get to May. Uh, I've never been honestly more excited about it. Uh, this year has been um, just absolutely disastrous uh, in every possible way. Um, but. The light at the end of the tunnel is here. Uh, you know, the month of May, uh, you know, after testing two weeks ago, you know, the 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 little fires are burning in the soul very, very bright because you know that, hey, we got a wagon here at, at this track and uh, and it's a good wagon, the bitnow.com wagon, uh, which might have a new livery on it for the Indy 500. No big deal where we won't. We won't uh, we won't say too much about that yet, but we, we, we might have a, you know, a little paint scheme in, in store. Who knows? Um but uh, it's it, it feels good to get to May. Uh, the Indy GP even as well is a race that I've had success at and and love this track. So can't wait to get there. Our season starts now. That's that's what people say that uh, have had bad seasons to start. <laughs> well, and I mean, it was we all know uh, on the month of May is is practically a whole season unto itself. 
Uh, I mean, between the, the, the GP, like you mentioned, and then you have all the weeks of practice and then the, the biggest race in the world. And, you know, so it's, it's a whole, a whole season, whole race into itself, obviously, um, couldn't be more excited about it. You mentioned the little paint job on your car, uh, just to start real quick, just before we got on here, um, Yunko's Hollinger, uh, released, uh, Canapino's livery for the Indy 500, and it is a pretty slick-looking ride. Did you see it? I did. I I think it looks great. Um, again, that guy, Augustine Canapino, and uh, obviously people got mad at me for calling him Angus Jalpino. That's my favorite nickname of any driver ever, Angus Jalpino. Uh, great driver, great guy, too. I've enjoyed getting to know him. Um, he... Uh, it has so much popularity across the internet. I've realized that if you look at anything that IndyCar ever posts, every single comment is an Argentinian uh, commenting for Augustine. So, I mean, huge support. So to see him have the football club on the car, I mean, it looks great. I, I think that's a great representation. This is a world-class event, the Indy 500. You know, we have many, many countries represented. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, gr great, great stuff from that team. Yeah, so like Connor mentioned, if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It is um, basically the kit, the the what you see for the um, Argentinian football team, football club, uh, who just won the World Cup this past summer, or is it fall? No, it was like fall winter. Yeah, yeah it's been recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like because they pushed it back, so it's fall winter twenty twenty two. That's what it looks like, um, and it is a real slick ride. Hopefully, maybe hey, maybe he can get uh, Messi out here, you know? Hey, that would be big. Yeah, tell man, if we get Messi on the red carpet, maybe waving the green flag or something, let's bring him in. Let's do it. <laughs> if, if we get Messi to the 500, that'd be a big get. That'd be a big get. I'm not going to lie. He's, that guy can barely leave his house from what I've, videos I've seen on the internet. So I uh, I think that would be a huge get for uh, for IndyCar. But yeah, all, all kinds of exciting things going on for May, man. It's... um. It's definitely here. We got street signs going up downtown Indianapolis. Uh, we've got Rev this weekend, which is going to be a great time. Um, you know, it's it's all happening. I yeah, took we're, son, we're ready. I took my son to the museum. It was actually both he and I's first time inside the IMS Museum yesterday. We went. We actually went through, and uh, it was fantastic. Like I knew that it was going to be. But I hadn't yet been, you know, I go to the shop all the time, you know, because I got to get the merch, which the, the the merch and the gear this year is just, I got to sprint out of there before I spend, you know, my mortgage on, on Indy 500, uh, you know, individual driver and also just the, the 107th running gear because it's really, really cool. But uh, took little Frankie, man, inside the museum uh, yesterday, man. And it was, dude, I didn't know that they had the simulator in there. I did the simulator. You ever you you have you done that? I mean, you've done no. it. No, inside the museum. I try to stay out of simulators as much as I can, but it. <laughs> but hey, hey the, the museum is up at a high level now. It's it's I, I respect what they got going on in there. It's beautiful. It's super cool, super historic. He took photos with Rossi's winning car, with Danny Weldon's winning car, with you know all these uh, uh, Bobby Unser, uh, and, and then you go back into the back, and they have an actual uh, like sim to do. Uh, four qualifying laps essentially uh, around the speedway hey. and you arrive at Scott Dixon's car and I did it <laughs> if, you if, qualified? If, did you qualify? no, no dude I didn't they had the top 8 scores on the board and I didn't make it um, if people already didn't have enough respect and, and understanding for how difficult it is for what you guys do in real life 
I suggest one going into the IMS museum if you haven't because it's dope. But then in the back, go do the simulator because that is an experience. It is yeah. tough. Yeah, I love I, it. I was not good at it. Um, but yeah, so we're we're doing those kind of things. We're going to the museum. We're going to the main street on Speedway to be able to get into the mood uh, for the month of May. Uh, but but we did have a race since the last time we chatted, Connor. Um, and and wanted to get to it briefly here. Talk about Barber. Um, you know, and, and, and an interesting race in terms of you had uh, Penske, all three of their drivers using you know kind of the three stop, not kind of they're using the three stop strategy. Uh, Roman uh, puts it on a pole for the second time this year. Um, and was unable to uh, come away with the win again. Um, nice little battle there with him and Scotty Mack, kind of St. Petersburg esque. I felt like everybody was kind of walking on pins and needles. I'm like, hey, don't do what we did down St. Pete. What was your thoughts? Oh man, um, there was a lot going on there. I mean, the the barber race in general. When you look at it, there's a lot of fuel saving. If if you're going green, uh, you want to try to make the two stop strategy work. There's a ton of fuel saving. Um, and so kind of right when that race starts, you see everyone gets very, I would say aggressive right out the gate because, you know, everyone's close. So you want to try to pass people, but you have a fuel number to hit immediately if you're trying to pull two stops. So it was, uh, it was a challenge for, for some people, I would say, um, you know, there's one manufacturer that is, is making mileage a little bit better, I would say than the other, uh, right now, um, and, and, and so that kind of makes it interesting, you know, for us, we, we could not do, we could not make the mileage. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, I don't know why. Um, but, uh, but we switched to a three stop pretty quickly. Uh, and actually when we did that, we, we moved up a lot. Like we set the fourth fastest race lap, I think, and, uh, and started moving forward on the reds, uh, after our first stop. Um, but then I got caught, uh, caught, caught with Ferrucci, uh, which is obviously our favorite driver. Um, and, uh, and, and to make a strategy like that work, you, you can't get caught in traffic. You know, I caught him in, uh, we, I, we must've caught him nine, eight, six to eight seconds in, in several laps. So he was going very slow, but Barber is, is not a great track for overtaking. If you don't have a good mechanically, you know, if, if you can't rotate the car very well in traffic, it's hard to pass. The straights are not long enough. Uh, yeah. the braking zones are, are, are short, um, and so, uh, yeah, so, so got, uh, got into a, uh, a battle with Santino for, for way too many laps, ruined our, ruined the first part of our race, essentially, um, you know, tried to get him back eventually. And then, uh, he, uh, decided to drive across my front wing and, and break the left front of it, uh, a little bit, but, uh, to be fair, I did block him earlier in the race too. Uh, and I think we made light contact. Um, but, uh, but after that, my tires were shot. So, uh, had to kind of get into a different strategy again, uh, but pitted and came out, you know, ahead of a few cars. We were, you know, we had, we'd come back from last. We were all the way back in last, moved up to like 19th or 20th. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we saw the, the video of, uh, of Ray Hall driving me off the track. Um, and again, he, he came like, he didn't like that. I tweeted that at all. He sent me a text, uh, very, not, not, not a good text. Uh, because he did come up to me after the race and apologize, and it's not on purpose, which I understand, but, like, it still happened. So, like, I I am obviously going to be upset about it. Like, I don't, I mean, any driver would be upset if they got run off the track like that. Like, he got loose and, and went in, and, and went to the side of me, pretty hard impact. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, Graham, not happy that I said, I didn't say I was maliciously driven off the track by the 15. I said I got driven off the track by the 15, which is a factual statement. 
that, that happened. Uh, Graham Rahal, friend of the show, friend of my, friend of mine, friend of the family. Um, but these things we will get over for sure. But I am obviously still upset about it. Anytime you get hit like that, it's, it's, that sucks. So, um, that was not good. That basically, uh, that finished the race for us. We, we were, there's no passing at this track. Well, there were for some of the cars up at front that were, uh, in and out of some, I, I did see some battles, which was great. Uh, some great passes from Grosjean and Scott McLaughlin and, and Christian Lundgaard. Um, but overall, it doesn't feel like a great race to me ever. I don't, I don't see a ton of overtaking happening. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, interesting race, not my favorite place. I literally hate Barber more than any other place I think on the schedule. So I am, uh, happy to be out of there. Uh, and, and I felt bad for, you know, we struggled in general, you know, Renus on pole there last year and, 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 you know, it was tough this year for us both. I think he had a great qualifying lap. I've got to give him credit for that great qualifying lap. Um, but, uh, we're just ready to get to Indy. So, uh, that's, that's what happened. Crazy to see Grosjean finish second again, though. I mean, goodness gracious. I, I, I remember, he reminds me of Vitor Mira. Vitor Mira, if, if, if you're new to IndyCar, Vitor Mira used to finish second all the time. And Vitor Mira, a great driver as well. So I, I, I do think Grosjean is very, very close to being on the verge of winning. Uh, pole position as well. He's doing great. That team, Andretti, doing solid job uh, in general. So um, got to give them credit for sure. Yeah, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't be surprised to see him being in contention here um, in a couple of weeks at the at the GP, uh, you know, the road course there at Indy. So, yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, it felt good that that was on the last day of April because now it's just totally, you know, last year the race was on May 1st down there at Barber. So it was a kind of weird little drizzle over into uh, the month of May. Now it's just a clean slate. Leave it in April. Leave it behind. And we move on. We move on to the month of May. Um, I, so something that I've been doing uh, to start off this month has been just going back and watching old 8500s. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. I, I used to do that all the time, by the way. I, I, I'll never forget. Quick story. I, yeah. before my first Indy 500, 2013, I was living in Europe. Uh, I was still racing over there, right? But I knew I was doing the 500. I watched so many old Indy 500s. I watched... As many as I can find on YouTube, just just to get myself deep in knowledge, but also just it was invigorating. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's what I've been doing. It's kind of what I realize now. It's like you know how in December, like after Thanksgiving, you know, you get to December, you're always wanting to watch Christmas movies. You're always wanting to watch, uh, you know, the Twenty Five Days of Christmas. Even if you've seen Elf a million times, you're gonna watch it. You're gonna listen to Christmas music all that month. <laughs> At the end of the month. This is what we're doing now in May. We are putting on every chance we get old Indianapolis 500s. We're listening to every Indy 500 podcast that we can do and think of. We're, and we're consuming all of it because this is the month for that and for the 500, of course. And it also <laughs> doesn't hurt that my son, for whatever reason, just does not want to sleep at night right now. So <laughs> I'm down in the living room with him at 3.34 in the morning. And what else am I going to do other than play the 1985 Indy 500, right? So anyways, exactly. I've been, I've been doing that and it's been great. Uh, but it was, I think like 4.15 in the morning yesterday, I was watching the 1989 Indianapolis 500 and I was taking in the full pre-race coverage and everything because these are all, you know, on YouTube. And the funniest thing, like, I just found this portion of the pre-race show so funny and I wanted to play it back for you guys because it, <laughs> I, I'm just going to play it. 
and, and and let it ride for a second, and and then I'll explain afterwards. But here it is, uh, 1989 Indianapolis 500. Take it away. Thanks, Jerry. The cars are now lined up on the home stretch, silent for the moment, but very soon they will roar into line. Let's take a look at the 11 rows of three that will stream toward the green flag. On the pole, the defending champion of three-time winner Rick Mears broke his own one-and-four-lap records here two weeks ago in qualifying. He is the first man at Indianapolis to hold the pole five different times. Alongside after a four-time winner, he turns 50 tomorrow. Away from the track, he enjoys snowmobiling in Chama, New Mexico. <laughs> so, so hold on. As he's doing that, like they show uh, the flip screen, like they show the photo, and then they flip it, the box style, 1980s, so 1980s. And shows a slow motion of Unser on a snowmobile going yeah. over the snow. <laughs> now, if you go back and watch this, like they they go through the entire field this way, right? And at some points, they're talking about like, let's see if I can find it. Like a guy's a wine connoisseur. <laughs> There's Derek Daly right there. Bro, John Jones is the. What did they say about Derek Daly? The former IMSA champion and BTO. He's sweet. <laughs> Great podcast activity right here. Podcast radio, I know. Dane is in the center of the row. He plays soccer to keep in shape. He plays soccer soccer to keep in shape, dude. What? what, I actually like this. You know, I like it. It's hilarious. We need, uh, yeah, we need every driver and then their odd casual hobby. Like Connor Daly likes collecting Pokemon cards on the side and has a fancy collection of of graded cards. Like, one hundred percent. Like, I was telling Rye, my wife, about it. She was like, oh, you just know that there was some producer back in 1989 that was like, <laughs> we got to humanize these guys. And yeah, we're gonna, yeah. We're going to show the one random hobby that they have when they're introduced in the field of 33. Um, Joseph Newgarden runs a YouTube program on the side. and <laughs> Alexander Rossi, he keeps his uh, adrenaline bug by flying through the airwaves. Yeah. Like that. That whole thing. I mean, Alexander Rossi doesn't like the public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a very funny one. Yeah. Go, go back. I was like, man, I, that's what I thought. I was like, what would it be? How would it be if they did that in 2023? No, that'd be awesome. Should, we should definitely do that. <laughs> um, but, but that's a real treat. Go through the whole field. It's only like eight minutes into the video where they start. Uh, the 1989 Indianapolis 500, they go through the entire field, and some of the things that they mention, you're just like, what What are we doing here? And Michael <laughs> Andretti actually makes an appearance, because when it gets to Michael Andretti, they're like, and the 10th row, Nantes of Pennsylvania, Michael Andretti, he enjoys watching hockey with his son Marco, and it's just them together. Marco's like three years old or whatever. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, but these are the things that you find when um, you are uh, a new dad and you're bored and it's four in the morning and you just want to consume as much Indy 500 as you can. I love that. And, you know, speaking of uh, IndyCar television programming, we had our first episode of 100 Days to Indy, Joey. Uh, first of all, going up against the NFL draft, a lot of people were in my DMs, um, at which I I do appreciate. I do get a lot of messages from folks on 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 all forms of social media about the show and and uh, commenting on on activities that they see. And a lot of people had asked, why on earth are you up against the NFL draft? And again, I have no idea, but it's very IndyCar. Uh, but, but this, again, this isn't on purpose. It's not like people are like seeking out big events for us to compete with. 
Um, but, yeah. It just happened to be bad luck. Like realistically, the Thursday night, like Thursday night evening television is probably like good. It's a good hour of television to have. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's definitely not bad for the future. And to be honest, when you look at how many people actually watch the show, I'm actually very impressed with how many people watch the show because we had almost like 385,000 people or 350,000 people, depending on who you added up or who you watched over the weekend or how you calculated your numbers. But I'm not going to lie. That's like the same amount of people that watched some of our races like that were very low rated at times. You know what I mean? Like we, we should actually be thrilled that there are that many people that watch it and hopefully some new fans as well. So I, I would love to know. I, I think I clicked on the hashtag because I watched it already, obviously, at the premiere, but I watched a little bit of it at the airport because they didn't have a rental car for me, so I was sitting there for quite a long time. Um, and I, I I still look at it, and I think this is well-made. It, it's, it's not a program that you're like, wow, this is made by a bunch of dudes with cell phone cameras and stuff like that. Like yeah. This is a, a well-done program. They do a good job with it. And from reading through the hashtag, like a lot of people using the hashtag to tweet about it, a lot of positive response. I would say more positive than some of our very critical IndyCar fans would would be sometimes. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, that, and that was my thoughts too. I mean, I I watched it and I thought it was it was super well produced. I thought it built the drama, you know, because again we talked about it. It's, you build those characters and building the drama, and it, you know, I already know what happened in St. Pete. But yeah. I was still on the edge of my seat of like, oh, wow, how are they going to tell this? And one where you can get behind the scenes, it's going to make you say, oh, shit, you know? Um, so I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I was entertained. I learned new things about uh, each of the drivers that they highlighted. And, and like you mentioned, you know, yeah, it was only Scott, Joseph, and Marcus pretty much. But, you know, that it, 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 there's, there's, there's more episodes to come, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Season and, and, Part of doing these kind of shows is you have to dive in and develop these characters, which these guys are. You guys are. So, yeah. And I, I got a quick. Um, Alexander Rossi and I flew to Vegas on Monday right after Alabama for uh, for the Nitro Nitro Rallycross Summit with uh, Tra- Travis Pastrana invited us out there to check out what his new series is gonna gonna get into, and I'm gonna get into that because there's really cool stuff happening there. But Alex had the uh, second episode of the show on his. Uh, I guess he got a, a little little preview. Of, well, he got the whole thing. Um, but uh, I didn't listen to it. But I, I did happen to over the shoulder just have a gander at it. Uh, and again, looks uh, looks great. I think there's what's interesting is Alex made an interesting point. Is like there's a lot of the actual race, right? And again, this is for I think fans that don't watch the race, right? Like. We need people, and it, and I don't want to say it's for those people because it's for all of us, really. Like it's for the fan base. It's it's for people that support our sport. But you know, people might have missed the race. So all right, now they get to catch up with the race, what was happening, and also see what's going on behind the scenes. So you know, it's it's mainly Texas, right? You get a great look at what Pato's got going on in his life. Uh, a little bit of Colton, um, and so yeah, there there's there's some cool stuff in that episode. Um, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm excited to watch it as well. So feel free to stay tuned. And again, I think they're going to get a little bit more open as the month of May begins, like not focus on just certain drivers. I think it's just more so the event and like what's happening and day-to-day activities. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we know that there's 
for the first couple episodes, focused on certain drivers, creating characters. Uh, I noticed that at, in Barber, it looks like they were following Augustine Canapino. So uh looks like they're trying to mix in some rookies as well. Um, and obviously, he's got a big following in Argentina, so that, that helps. But uh, yeah, I would say we can be happy with this product, and I do hope that it continues to go. This is something that we want to go further that like, Let's say it gets on to uh, another streaming service in the fall, right? Well, people can still watch that uh, that might be newly exposed to it and be like, dang, this is like really cool. Like, why haven't we known about what's going on here? So sure. that, that's kind of what we're hoping for. But then, of course, there was news that Vice was going bankrupt, which is another whole other story. And I was just like, goodness gracious, this is so, this is IndyCar's luck right now. Or involved with a poor guy. Like, I, I thought Vice was doing a great job producing and getting into, the, I don't know. That's it. That, we won't get into that because we're not experts, but uh, just keep watching the show and keep us in business. <laughs> always something, man. Always, yeah. always seems to be something, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> we're trying hard, though. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, and it's a good point because then if that does happen, though, it's in the fall, then people are like, oh, what's this? And then it's like, oh, wait a second, that's coming up, you know, here just a few months, talking about next year, you know, and then you, you really grab people. Um, so that'd be, that'd be great. Um, should we get to Jaime? Yeah. Yeah. We can, um, I think we should get into it. We will have a couple things to, to talk about afterwards, but, uh, this is a great interview. Um, really, really want people to, to, to give this one a, a, a chance. Listen in. I think if you, if you truly appreciate our sport overall, the sport of driving, being a, a racing driver, and again, I, I try on this show to get like just just let people know the honest side of it. And again, not a lot of people like that, but the true feelings of what goes on and and how we are, I guess drivers are treated sometimes, uh, and the interactions that we have. I think this is a great look and a and a tough look at at at, at Formula One, uh at at, at racing. Um, but a great, great story. So, um, so yeah, let, let's get to Jaime Algashwari. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as mentioned, uh, a very, very special guest this week, a very, very talented guest in multiple different ways. Uh, I did put it out on Twitter to see if anyone could guess who this would be, and no one has got it right so far. Um, this guest was a Formula One driver. This guest uh, was, at the time, the youngest Formula One driver to reach Formula One, uh, part of the Red Bull family, Formula Three champion, if I'm correct, as well, uh, and basically a musical genius as well. Uh, Jaime Algaswari, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I don't even know where to start because there's so much, but how are you right now? How's life in Spain? What's going on? Thank you, man. Thank you. I'm glad um, that we're having this conversation. Uh, it's been a while that we haven't seen each other. Um, it was very nice to see that picture that you sent me the other day, actually. I actually remember that. I think it was in really? Barcelona. Really? Yeah, I think it was in Barcelona, like preseason testing or something like that, but like yeah. 13 or 14 years ago. So. Oh, yeah. You were just a kid. <laughs> I was. I, I was. Me too, but you're younger than me, so it was good fun to see that. I'm good. You know I'm what's good. funny though? Yeah, I I'm not that much younger than you. Like that's the crazy thing. Oh, like, really? you, like you're you're 33, right? I'm 31. 
Oh, on that picture, you you were looking like 16 and me like 9. I know. 25 or 24, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Uh, I, yeah. I was racing in, in GP3 at the time and, and I, it, it was, you know, it was one of those things that I had had some friends that were big fans of yours and I was like, I got to get a picture with this guy, you know, and it was, it was cool <laughs> to see everything that you had done. I mean, it's incredible. So let's get right into that. Like making it to Formula One as, as a very young person, right? Like you were on this road of success here. I mean, I remember the story like, holy crap, this guy's like, boom, right in Formula One. Here we go. Uh, but tough, difficult era, I would say in Formula One as well. Very difficult era. Um, and the Toro Rosso team, probably not the most successful that they could have been, you know, tip, difficult times. What was that like to be thrust in that environment so early? Because I, I know that I was trying to get to the same place. You know, I, we were all trying to be forming the one drivers, you know, I, I, back in the day. Yeah, well, I mean, for those of you who are not very familiar with the Formula One system, uh, you know, I was involved with this uh, junior program in uh, this energetic drink uh, brand, <laughs> which is Red Bull. And they're very famous for, you know, being very strict on how they... Uh, manage drivers and what they are asking for. So basically, I was uh, I was basically called when I was 15 years old after my season in go karts in Europe, and I was signed up to this uh, junior team. I started to do Formula Formula Renault 1.6, then I did Formula Renault 2.0, and the goal was very clear: was just to win. Uh, anything that was not winning was not good for them, and it was very you know, like crystal clear. So all the goals were winning or being in the top three, at least for the first year. So, you know, I, I was like, you know, when you're that age, you just, you don't even think about Formula One because everything, it looks like very kind of far away. You are thinking like managing things like step by step. And of course, yeah, you know, like putting the pressure on you, but understanding that there is, like potential in here to do something big, but, and you are, and of course you're being very fortunate because, you know, our sport is, is a very expensive and unique and exclusive sport. It's not like tennis or golf or football. So you understand that these people are putting a lot of money behind you and they're, they're, they're putting a lot, you know, you have this responsibility of delivering results and so on. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it just worked out. I mean, I was doing the job. I won Formula, British Formula 3 and I think, you know, Connor, one of those things in life is not just being talented or being special, it's, it's especially being at the right spot at the right place. So I think For this sure. makes the whole difference, you know, like Sebastian Vettel was at the right time, at the right place, upgrading to Formula One when Toro Rosso had a good car to be in, in Q3 consistently and so on. You know, Max Verstappen upgraded to Formula One when, you know, Toro Rosso didn't have a very bad car and then... Red Bull Racing was amazing. So it's all about the momentum and the time being. And at that time in 2009, they decided to upgrade me to Formula One and uh, and give me that, that seat that uh, I replaced um, Sebastian Bourde. Well, actually, uh, they were not very happy with him, with his performance at that time, and they replaced him and they put me in. And it was, a, you know, for me, it was very harsh because... I didn't know the car. I didn't know the racetracks. I couldn't even test. It was they threw me in the middle of the season, so it was a very tough, like, mm, very tough season to start with. You know. Oh yeah, I mean that's so hard because 
Jump first of all, Sebastian Bourdais. That's hilarious because I've obviously now raced with Sebastian Bourdais for many years. My first IndyCar podium, he won the race. So it's, oh, okay, uh, but yeah, n- not a big fan of his. It be blocks a lot on the track. No big deal. A lot of trillions. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so difficult to be thrust into a new car because, especially as a young person, right? You're we're just thinking, yep, whatever it is, doesn't matter. We got to get in and drive. But that car. I obviously only did very, very little Formula One testing, but there's so much to learn. There's so much to know. There's so many things. And again, you're exactly right. That Red Bull environment, as some, as an onlooker, right? Like I always dreamed of being sponsored by Red Bull. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. But having known a lot of drivers who were in that system now, it's it's not really like the the best system for drivers who can need to learn or like who have time to learn, right? Like I think I think. If if you don't do it immediately, like you said, you're out, and that that's that's a lot of pressure. So yeah. when you got in and and you started, you know, seeing however things were going on, the car might not have been the great the greatest at the time, but I guess did did it seem like they were going to give you the time at first? Like did it seem like all right, I'm going to get a little bit of time to understand what's going on here because you you were so young. Well, you never know in Red Bull. The funny oh, thing yeah. is that the funny thing is that I've been racing all my life with Checo Perez. Yeah, I, I've been beating him every time. And the funny thing is, all my respects for Checo, of course, he's yeah, a good yeah. driver. But the funny thing is that uh, he would have not last. You know, with all the ruling and the, all the strategy that Red Bull Junior team and managing managed by exactly Red Bull Marco, with all the ruling and the strategy they had, Checo would have not last a minute in that system yes. because we would have sucked him out in the first year straight away, Formula 3, like you don't win, out. And I'm very sure if in in 2008 I would have not won the championship and they were going to throw me, they were going to throw me out and that's crystal clear. And the funny yeah. thing is now Checo is driving for Red Bull Racing Yeah, it's <laughs> been quite successful. So it's unbelievable, you know what I mean? So they spent so much money on drivers, they spent so much money on, you know, this junior team and um yeah we made it maybe five six of, of us but it's so difficult to predict what they're going to do what they're going to decide how they're going to react so i was never sure and honestly i got a i received a call from from jitrick uh Mateschitz, the the founder of red bull which he's not he was not really into into it because he has technical people who are taking decisions for him like yeah. christian horner or Helmut Marco, but this phone call kind of calmed me down a little bit because, of course, I was thrown into the lions without, you know, setting me anything. So yeah. it was, it was, it was very, um, it was very difficult for me to perform, to outperform my teammate. Of course, you know, I was like always behind him the first half of the season, and then the the whole story changed in 2010. Of course, you know, I was yes. trained, I had the knowledge of the tires of a Formula One ecosystem. Which is very different to you know that uh, very different to any junior formula. So I could have I I first thought that I had the weapons to defend me in that ecosystem, yeah. and I started to make my first uh, points. Even though the car, of course, was lacking performance, yeah. but you know it's always the same story. But yeah, I, I outpaced my teammate at the end of the year, out qualifying him at the end of the year, the last six or seven races, so scoring points consistently, which was good. And then we were looking better for the next year, following year, you know. So there was some progress in there. 
now looking back after everything you just said, I mean, would you would you do it all over again that way? I mean, uh, or, or or would you? What would you want to change? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I mean, <laughs> everything turned out to be. I I didn't like the way I finished my Formula One career. Of course, not at all. I I was not expecting that decision on December eighteenth and the way they did it. They uh, made sure that we, me and Buemi, had no way to negotiate with other racing teams. So, you know, I had the, I had the opportunity to go with Lotus because I had this contract coming in, but I had to sign with the same weekend in Abu Dhabi. I said no because, of course, you know, we were doing a great job. In 2011, we were doing, especially the last seven races of the season, we were putting the car in the points. We were beating Schumacher, Mercedes, um, Force India at that time. We were beating Sauber. We were beating Renault, like teams that had much more budget than us. So all in all, we were doing a, a great job as a team with less budget, you know, and and I was not expecting that decision and the reasons why they did it, you know, saying that, you know, we're replacing the drivers because we know that they're very good drivers, but they're not winners. Like, what is the criteria behind that? You know, like, can you please tell me after six years working with me and Buemi, especially Buemi has won, I don't know how many world titles in touring, uh, sorry, in endurance cars and Formula E, yeah, all the racing series. Um, so it's stupid. So they replaced us, they put other drivers in, they don't beat our score, and then they upgrade them, they upgrade them to Rebel Racing. So what's <laughs> the deal here? So what, in which sporting criteria are you judging uh, your drivers and you're saying that they're not winners? You know, if we are if we kind of showed that we have done a better job than than them. So honestly, I, I have my thoughts about Formula One and how it works. Yeah. You know, I feel I'm a very fortunate man. I am very grateful for the, li the life I, I have been living there. You know, it was a great adventure. But of course, you know, mm -hmm. I was very ashamed and frustrated of how it all ended up. I yeah. I don't think I don't think it was the way to to do things to to be honest, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, did you so do you still follow the current F one? Are you like you I know do? What? Fuck you guys. No, <laughs> I do, and I mean I'm I'm good friend with Carlos, and I wish him the best, of course, because you know I I rate people and human beings, and I think after all this is a sport, and of course you know I I want the very very best for this sport that has given me so much. Yeah. And and it's it's getting trendy again, especially because <laughs> of the new you know of the new direction and the Netflix series. Of course, everything has changed in Formula One in the last years, and I feel has been for good. And there is a new trend in Spain. Fernando has a great car again, so everything is kind of growing up, and I'm happy about it. Of course, yeah, it's it's it is wild to see the direction that Formula One has gone. I mean, I. I... I hit the popularity certainly here in the states is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, looking back at some good moments in Formula One, what would you say? Whether it was some of your best qualifying performances, some of the points finishes, what what would you say would be like the top two feelings that you got from racing in Formula One? Whether it was you know qualifying yeah. sixth, I believe in in Belgium, or uh, you know finishing in the points. At certain places, what do you think were some of the best moments that you, that you that you got to enjoy as pure driving, like drive like a happy driver? Yeah, well, you said that. I mean, that qualifying session in Spa was very special for me because uh, the truck was wet and yeah. it was um, drying up. 
very fast. I was in Q3 because Q2 was in the wet. And then I was expecting that it was that time to put slicks, but it wasn't sure. But these situations, if you don't have a very competitive car, it's actually good. Yeah, you, yeah. Actually, you have more we more human weapons to to defend yourself, you know, in a way. So I finished P6. That lap was actually very good considering the conditions. And it was the best we could do, of course. No, yeah. there's, there was no chance to improve that. Unfortunately, uh, I think Senna or someone crashed into me in turn one and that was over for yeah. <laughs> the race. But the qualifying was amazing. And in terms of race, I think it was uh, the one in Korea with P7. At that time, we were just slightly behind Mercedes. It was uh, the first year, the second year of Mercedes into Formula One. I think 20 and 2010 was the first year. 2011 was the second year. And um, and we were just slightly off, like about two, three tenths. It was a little bit more in qualifying, but we, in race pace, we we seemed to do a better job than them, especially with managing the tires. And it was the first year, I think, of DRS and CURS or the second yeah. year, so everything was very new. Yeah. And I remember I I overtook uh, Nico uh, Rosberg in the last lap, and I knew I I only could do it in that at that time because if I was doing it earlier, he was gonna pass me again. So I I it was it was. The, the move itself was not very spectacular, but the way it <laughs> happened and the strategy was actually nice. So I felt quite proud. Obviously for us, you know, for for those of you who are not very familiar, uh, for us, being in the points was like a race win. So P8, P7, anything above than that, it was just feeling like, like great, you know. What do you think about uh, the current kind of explosion of Formula One in the United States and the different races that they're starting to host over here? Well, I think it's amazing. I mean, I'm very glad now it's managed by Americans because you guys know properly how to do shows and uh, entertainment. You are the, I think, the the founders of entertainment. <laughs> I think now, yeah, of course, I think I now. I don't know, for, man. Spain party's pretty hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's different. It's different. Um, you guys know how to do spectacular things, make look spectacular and big. And, and it's it's all about this. You know, it's an entertainment and... I make music and I try to entertain by, I don't know, like making people happy and enjoy and dance in the crowd and festivals. But Formula One is a sport that people has to feel attached with it. And now, you know, the reality show at Netflix, everything is happening in a way that it's attracting people, that all these synergies feel like um, something new happening, you know? And and I think it, this, you know, it's it's a, an evolving sport. It has to evolve. Everything changes. Everything has to evolve and everything has to kind of develop itself. Unfortunately, there are some things which I still don't agree, like the sound of the cars, which is bad. Yeah. Bullshit, you know, bad. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. Uh, I don't think it's, it's the way that it should go because obviously atmospheric engines, I think it has something special and, and the way that you connect with people with frequencies and sound yes. super special and and you have to connect with that and the other thing for me is that um i don't know it's just the the way the way it's the, the way it's set up with aerodynamics and should be more human less a little bit less robotic or engineered because we are losing the essence here you know always winning uh. the guy who is with always the fastest car and so on even though we have seen like the uh the thing that the whole uh, the whole grid is getting narrower and it's more competitive now. 
but still, you know, downforce and aerodynamics are still taking the advantage here. So exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating that you say that as well. It's 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 all it's all it's all fair points. I completely agree. Sound huge, important. I, I still wish like the, the most popular videos that you see on the internet randomly are old videos of Formula One cars when they sounded incredible. And like, everyone's like, wow, it would be so cool to see these, you know, it's like, yeah. I mean, imagine if that was now you had all the people, all the popularity and you had screaming engines, just it, it, it's, it's an argument that we will never win, but uh, you know, I completely agree. So moving, like, I guess from Formula One, it, it's hard as a driver to fully just like like get away from it right so like you kind of you, you spent a little bit of time doing some Pirelli testing right yeah. a little bit of Pirelli testing and I saw some Formula E stuff as well a little bit of Formula E stuff but for the most part like you kind of just like that was it like was it yeah. in your mind like hey I'm ready Switch to off. go do, yeah, yeah it's music and and then the music was your passion and was that a pretty freeing feeling like you made it to the top yeah, of the I'm... sport top of the world and now you know what? I'm going to do something that just makes me happy. Is is that is that something that was was that kind of the feeling? The th the thing here is that Connor, you know, when I started in a junior program when I was 15, these guys they, they designed me to be like a machine. Like when you're yes. in Red Bull, you are they designed you to be like a bad human being. You know what I mean? Like they designed <laughs> yeah. you to be arrogant. No happiness, no enjoyment. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. Everything is bad. Like even yeah. when you win, you ha you cannot be happy. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like so bad. He didn't even congratulate you when you were actually scoring points or. It's incredible. Yeah. Nothing incredible. is good. Nothing is enough. <laughs> so keep on pushing, like push, 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 and you can you felt like that anxiety. But that's, you left, you you were living with that anxiety, you know, you you were, and this is the success of Max Verstappen because he lived in a family where this was his Normal. everyday life. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Pushing him every single day, testing, 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 uh, go-karts, and even the win was not enough. So that was like the feeling I always had inside Red Bull. So they were, they were designing machines to be, perfect to develop drivers into Formula One and win world championships. They were developing machines, actually. And yeah. once this happened, and I was out of the Red Bull era, yes, I was called by Pirelli, I was developing tires, but then, you know, I was asked money by Formula One teams to race, yeah. and all of <laughs> a sudden I started to ask myself, do I really, like, do I, do I think that I have to look for money to race, do I feel like I am, I am part of all this ecosystem, and 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 the and the most important question: Do I feel connected with this anymore? Of course, Formula One was not an option anymore, especially with a good car. So I went to LA for I don't know a couple of months uh, with my ex girlfriend. You know, I was uh, I was staying there and and had a thought on what what do I want to do with my life. I received a call from Formula E. They were building this car, electric uh, championship, <laughs> so on. And I was like, well, I, I'm not really motivated about the idea, but let's give it a go. So we can say at least we have tried other racing series, right? Yeah. Um, just in case. But honestly, I wasn't really motivated to do other things. My, my head was, because I hadn't finished business in Formula One. I couldn't yeah. believe that everything just 
stopped on my best peak time performance technique professionality i couldn't believe my eyes that all of a sudden this was like blown when i was beating my wow. teammate i was putting the car in the points i was beating world champions i was like dude like give me a good car and i'll show you that i will win races okay. like are you kidding me i hear so, you on that but like <laughs> yeah. the frustration level was at another planet and it was a very it was probably the hardest no it was actually the hardest time of my life i mean i was employed by the bbc to be commentator i was only 22 years old it was like uh, 10 years ago 11 years ago and i was like what am i doing here like six months later i'm scoring points and all of a sudden i feel like in a commentator booth uh Behaving twenty-two, yeah, be, be, behaving 22. like a list, and I'm only twenty-two. Like this is not my life. Jeez. This is not when I live, you know. So I was uh, crying around the corner, like suffering a lot. I didn't want this life in myself, you know. And right. that's why I I had to stop for some for some time and think what I wanted to do. Formula A was a disaster. Uh, the cars were. It was the first year of the season, so many many issues with. Of course, you know, you would expect crazy yeah. races. And of course, it, it's not really racing when you drive electric cars because you're not really kind of push. You have to regenerate energy. So it's another mentality of racing. So, yeah, I mean, at that time, I was like, well, what are the options? I tried GTs. Yeah. I did a couple of races in Germany, just sharing seat with someone else, which is like an amateur and so on. And I was like, I have not been designed to do this in, with my life. I mean... It's not that I want to put less value on other people or, or other racing series. Oh. Not a, uh, all my respects for every kind of racing series, but I just I was not feeling motivated, and I was not waking up at uh, during you know in the morning like this is my dream job. So at at, th at that time I was like, well, I'm only 24, 25. It was like three years after, and I said, okay, this is not working out. I'm feeling bad. I have like a lot of anxiety i fainted out in 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 moscow it was like this race where you know something happened to me and it was like kind of scary so at that time i said you know my my body is asking me for something else i have to stop this and i really know what to do because i have a hobby which i love which i feel super connected with and you know connor if you don't enjoy behind the wheel and you don't put your helmet on with a smile what are you here for? I don't think it's it's just a question of money, not at all. You do this because you love it and you risk your life because you kind of feel connected and passionate about it. Otherwise, it's better to do something else in life, you know? So, so that's what I felt. You, you, you mentioned that you had that hobby. Now, when you were a kid and then Red Bull is training you to be a machine, were you disconnected from that hobby? Was this something with music that you grew back into or, or has it always been a part of your life? I mean, uh, music has started in my life when I was 15. My dad, my parents used to um, spend their holidays in Ibiza. Uh, in the summer, they used to take me. Um, so I met a lot of friends there. Music, so electronic music was kind of a thing going on. And I started DJing, buying records. There was, there's a huge culture behind it, you know. And I was feeling attracted by this world, by the sounds, by experimenting in the studio. Uh, creating and, 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 you know, producing tracks, sending records and demos to la labels, independent labels that they were releasing, you know, a couple of records uh, a year. So it started to work out in a way. And I wanted to make sure that it was 
happening under an alias yeah. and under my real name. That was the full nice story here. And um, yeah, like I had some clubs and promoters that started me, started to book me. And I was just enjoying, you know, I was feeling connected with that. I, it was like a way to communicate with the world with my language. I don't know. You know? That's awesome. I, I think it's super, it's super special to find what you love to do for sure. Like I, I'm very lucky to be where I'm at for sure in racing and, and to even to have been here as long as I, as I have, but like, you're right. Like you have to love it. There, there are some moments, there are some elements of the sport that I definitely do not like now. And I've got enough experience now to like, just there are part, parts of it that are just like, all right, that sucks. You know what I mean? But the, there's still the pure driving element that I, I'm very much enjoying. Um, but to have the music, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Is there any, like, I see you do some karting and stuff like that now every now and then. So you're still, you still do like some of the pure driving aspects, right? Like there's, yeah. there's doing the music. That's what's, I assume puts the food on the table. You know what I mean? And then, you know, you get to go kart racing as well. That's, that's gotta be fun. Karting is the essence of motorsport. And I think it's the root of every single racing driver. Yeah, for sure. We, we must defend that we must never forget that that we all started there and for uh, me i believe i have my best memories of racing in karting uh, karting is born in italy and every manufacturer or almost every manufacturer is in italy so everything is very close from spain italy we have now amazing racetracks here the karting culture is huge and it's getting amazing and uh, I've always loved and felt super connected with that. Indeed, when I was in Formula One, I was still racing go-karts and doing uh, World Cups in uh, KZ1, you know. So this is the best training for a Formula One driver. Um, this is the best, I would say, relation between a racing driver and, and a racing car. Uh, the feedback is insane, you know. <laughs> I think it's the closest thing to a Formula One car, a KZ1. So I have fun. You know, I enjoy, I smile. And that's yeah. the reason why I did a couple of races last year, even though, of course, I feel now the, a little bit the age and the and the <laughs> fact that I'm not as trained as before. But I have enjoyed I did the World Cup in Le Mans last year. I made it to the final. I was like two, yeah, three tenths off, which is a lot. You know, in go-kart, three tenths is quite a lot, especially <laughs> at that time. Uh, but now, you know, I, I sometimes go with my friends, they enjoy, we have some laps and and it's it's about that, you know, it's about enjoying yeah. life. You live only one, so yeah. make sure you, you get the best and the most out of it. Now in motorsport, obviously we're we're IndyCar folks, Joey's, we're, we're big IndyCar people now. Was there ever a time where you might have watched IndyCar or there was a communication with any race teams? Was there any IndyCar, I guess... Like just a quick little glance, like, huh, maybe, maybe that's interesting. Cause like, oh, eight, nine, 10, 11, like those were different. Like I would say those weren't the, like 11 was, was a, a successful year for IndyCar, you know, about 100th anniversary of the Indy 500. Like there was a lot going on there, but then there was a new car in 2012, a bit of an interesting era, but did you ever communicate with any teams on the IndyCar side? You know, Connor, I think one of my mistakes was not to have a proper manager or ah, okay. someone who actually helped me out mm -hmm. to look somewhere else and guide me. You know, in music, you have like people who advise you where to go or what to do or what to do next, which record label you should, you should sign with, what collaboration you should be looking at, 
what kind of new influence and so on. So maybe because I did have many meetings with Formula One teams and they were asking me, you know, like, oh, we can give you this seat as a reserve driver or being at the simulator and we can give you this money and so on. At that time, you know, you're 21 years old. You're just yeah. thinking about, guys, if you give me that Red Bull seat, like, you're, you're just going to see what's going to happen. And you, yeah. you know, because you've been, you know, I, I was... I was working with the simulator a lot and I knew how many how much downforce they had and and the differences between their car and our car, you know. Mm. So it was a mistake, of course. You know, you don't you don't get to see that. Boemi was definitely smarter than me and he knew, okay, this happened to me, I'm gonna stay as a third driver. Anything they gave they give me, it's gonna be fine. Uh and you deal with other things in life. But when I was uh, that that young, I was only thinking about driving and winning. And whatever was not in Formula One was nothing good for me. So maybe I should have had someone who were kind of helping me out on advising me and helping me out on thinking what would be the best way to move out Formula One and uh. to feel happy and, fi and find happiness on on racing again, you know, on, on, on feeling uh, motivated and connecting with what you're doing and yeah, I think I think um, this this was uh, what mi what was missed, you know. Now, as a uh, music producer and, and, and performer and DJ, have you heard of the Snake Pit? <laughs> no, the Indy Five Hundred Snake Pit. No, what's that? Oh, oh, oh it's that a up your alley, my friend. <laughs> it's a huge, uh, a huge concert. Our own little music festival inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway during oh, wow. the Indy 500. Yes, it happens wow. inside of turn three from 8 a.m. until like 2 p.m. and the race starts at noon. <laughs> oh, that's nice. We have to get them to book you next year. We're going to get, oh, yeah, I wanna go. gonna get I wanna you wanna locked go. in. <laughs> you do us a nice. favor and look that up after it's, our yeah. class here. And, and, I and will, I will. I got to be there. That'd be great. Nice. <laughs> but when it comes to the Indy 500, is that like, do you, like first of all, like do you do you watch it? Is there do is there, are there any IndyCar drivers that you've I've communicated with over the years, or at least had? Because there there really hasn't been, um, I guess I would say a ton of Spanish drivers that have been you know over here that that much, right? So I, I but does it does it come across the radar at all? Like is it is it something it that's does, like I mean yeah. it does especially I I have a great relation with Oriol Serbia. Oh yeah, uh, of course Oriol yeah Serbia, and uh, he's been telling me a lot about IndyCar since great many many friend Oriol. Uh, yeah, I like Oriol. Amazing guy. And he did Formula E and we were also, you know, uh, teammates. Well, not teammates, but we were racing against each other uh, at that time. So we, we have a great relation. And, and whatever I know about, about IndyCar is because of him. Yeah. And of course, we have Alex Palou. I don't I don't get to know him much because he's much younger than me. And he yep. kind of is from another generation. But but it's Very great. good driver. Yeah. It's amazing that we have Spanish drivers doing so well yeah. uh, in IndyCar and... But honestly, like it's not very followed and known in Spain. Yeah, you know, I don't think IndyCar here is very because I think it's the states are the states, and and you have your things which are very amazing, you know, and, and it's a tradition, you know, like IndyCar is huge, I think, in the states. But in Europe, it's like another dimension. Like they follow other racing um, series. Like they can't really understand what they secrets of driving on an oval track they would find yeah. they would find it quite weird you know why would people yeah. <laughs> go and watch uh cars that go around all the time you know and things like that 
But again, Formula One was not was never understood back in two thousand and five in in the states. They yeah. didn't understand it. They were not really that, that was not really appealing at all. You know. Well, they still don't. They just love Netflix shows. So, so that's yeah, exactly. They, still don't. exactly. they just love TV shows. <laughs> and you know, so yeah, I would say that. No, it's interesting. Alex Pillow has been very very good. I, I guess in that era. Over the last twenty years, you know, there really hasn't been a ton. So having having Alex now and Oriole, like Oriole has been a guy that I've raced against in the five hundred, been very good. Um, but that's it's cool to see that you at least you know, hey, Alex is a, a definitely a different generation, but got to rep represent for for Spain. So that's really cool. I yeah. for some reason, my honest opinion, I didn't know Alex at all. I thought he was from France at first, and then I had no idea when I, I met know. him when he came over. I was like, oh. You're definitely not French, and so that was that was kind of hilarious. I always tell people that story. Well, so do you do you get back to the states much at all? Do you stay mainly in Europe? Is all all your shows in no, Europe? Or no, do you, no, no. Do I've you come back of, here? I, I, I've done uh, actually two tours. It's been a while now since the pandemic. I, I haven't yeah. back. Uh, I did went to Miami for a music conference in nice. March, um, and Art Basel. A couple of times, but um, yeah, I used to do. I used to do uh, two tours, like around Chicago, New York, LA, uh, yeah, San Francisco. I went to Burning Man. Oh, uh, nice! So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a huge uh, community, and it's a uh, you know, Detroit is and Chicago probably is is the place where house and techno, like this specific sound was was born, and there is like a huge uh, followership, you know, about this. So. I'm a big, big fan of many American producers, and you know it's it's great to be in the states and play music and and meet new people, and you know I always love and enjoy to be in the states. I would actually l love to live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey man, there's some fun stuff here. It's all good. Yeah, so I do. You, like we're we're about well before we wrap up. You still keep helmets around the house? Is there any photo like? Because I thought you had really cool helmets, by the way. Like for the for a Red Bull oh, driver, really? like. You had some do. good helmets. Like, were there some? Are there still helmets around the house, or what? Yeah, are we yeah, yeah, they are, they are, they are. Okay, good. You know, good. I, I have to be honest. Like for the first two, three years, I wanted to like after Formula One, uh, especially. Yeah, I would say after my retirement, um, I wanted to throw everything away and oh, wow. give everything away. Like I wanted to kind of disappear of the world. Yeah, yeah. I was so frustrated, and I was so embarrassed and I was so like uh, angry with the whole thing that I just wanted to uh, forget about my past if I would have a button where I could press and forget all the thoughts and memories and results I would have pushed it uh, but then so it was a long psychological process for me to accept what happened and then at some point I started to understand that life is not about that, you know, and uh, yes, and that there are many great things and positives to understand of what happened. Uh, but it took it. It took some time. It took yeah. some, because you had expectations, you know, and oh yeah, couldn't no, believe I, it. I mean, honestly, on 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 an emotional level, like I definitely understand that because I think there have been many moments. My career has been a, a grind in itself, and putting it together and really try like trying to do it because you know you can do more than what you're given the ability to do wh whether it's a car or a situation whatever it is like I definitely understand how you know not not a formula 1 obviously I did not make it there but like even on the indie car side the professional side there are many moments where it's just like man 
This is really tough to stay driven to do it because you don't have the, the right chance or the area. It's just, it's just not the right environment. And so it, it's, a, it's a crazy thing about our sport. It's a, it's, it's one of the most difficult sports in all the world, whether you're an yeah. IndyCar driver, Formula One driver, NASCAR, just being a driver, the right place, the right time, the right situation, the right everything. And so I, I really appreciate hearing your story. I knew this would be great, a great interview because I, I obviously do, I'm a racing, I, I know every, I try to know everything about racing and I like to do my research and just, just understand what's going on out there because this sport is so deep in, I would say history and, and, uh, and, and cultures and all kinds of stuff. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and Hey, if, if anyone is, is looking for music, Squire music all across <laughs> the, the world, Thank you. um, I, I, I appreciate you coming on and honestly would love Thank to have you, you in the 500 sometime. And or if you want to come hang out, wait, it'd you. be I a great will, time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I have to say that I feel very happy to be at in your show in your podcast, and I am very surprised also because I've always had a feeling like our sport was about individuals, uh, egocentric individuals who were looking just about themselves, or at least oh. that's what my idea was of this sport and and how it was raised, you know, within the Red Bull family. So for me to be interviewed by you, who is a great and successful racing driver now in IndyCar, and the fact that you are kind of giving this possibility to show uh, fans and people who follow you about uh, our world is amazing and is great. So um, cheers on that and well done. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you. We'll take that. We'll take that whole round of applause. <laughs> well, thank you so much, man. And um, you know what? We'll see you on the interwebs, and we'll see you at the racetrack at some point, I'm soon. sure. Thank you so see much. See you soon, my friends. Jaime Agashwari. Pleasure. Ciao. Well, as we said, I, I really hope people enjoy that interview. Um, fantastic chat. I, I mean, Joey, you obviously you know probably didn't know who this guy was at all. I, I, I text you guys saying that uh, it would be quite an interesting and different um guest i mean what did you what did you think of 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 what jaime had to say was it was it uh was it as interesting to you as as what i thought as what i thought it was yeah that, definitely i i thought it was a really really open and and brutally honest look into uh formula one at least back when he was driving um especially about a certain team that he was talking about uh it was pretty prominent um and so you know i i feel like and obviously, he's not a current active driver, so it's different. But I feel like we talk about it a lot about how drivers in a lot of different series um, can kind of be guarded, can kind of be shielded a little bit. You know, they have to kind of toe the company line. Um, so it was very interesting hearing his thoughts with him not having to do that. Yeah, fascinating. Um, and I and I, I just. I love the honesty. This is what the show is all about: is honesty. So, uh, Red Bull, the Red Bull system is just very aggressive. I mean, we've had friend Robert Wickens has been involved in the system. Uh, Scott Speed was in the system. People that that I know very well, uh, you know, Daniel Ricardo, obviously a good friend of mine as well, uh, still in the system. He's there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, very very interesting to see how it works. Um, but uh, yeah, great great interview. Uh, um, one thing that we got into, we mentioned it briefly before the interview, but, uh, went to, had a little trip to Vegas this week. Uh, just a little quick 20, 20 or so hours in Vegas. Uh, Travis Pastrana sent out a little, little message saying, Hey, uh, we're having a little nitro rally cross summit. And 
we like to talk about all forms of motorsport on this show, really. We, we stay to the, the, the main three, but Nitro Rallycross is still a, uh, a, 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 a form of motorsport. Very, very cool. And Nitro, they, they've rebranded as Nitro Cross, which is cool. Nitro Cross, cool logo, simple. Um, and that they got bought by Dana White and the Fertitta brothers, like Fume Capital or whatever it is. That's huge. Like Dana White, they, I mean, they sold UFC for $4 billion. So like, I think, uh, I think it's pretty impressive what Travis has going on. He seems super motivated. Uh, if we got any rally cross fans out here, it's going to be awesome to see what they have, uh, in store and man going to a summit and kind of like listening to what people say about where they're going to go with the series or, or how they're going to market it and stuff like that. Boy, a lot of what I heard, I was like, when you listen to Dana White, some of his partners talk about what they're going to do and like how they're going to market it and what they're, it's like, Ooh, I think IndyCar could learn a little bit from this too. <laughs> like it was, it was something I was literally, I would slow, slowly look over at Alex and we were sitting at this table and we were like, Oh wow, this is really good. Like this is really smart. <laughs> so wow. interesting stuff, but IndyCar is definitely getting it. They are getting higher on the social media platform. I have to give them a lot of credit for pushing social content. They're doing it. They're pushing that video of Graham wrecking me like several times, which I think is hilarious. Uh, because again, he's not gonna like that, but it's you know, it's just what happened. Um, but uh yeah, interesting stuff. I would say be on the watch for what Nitro Cross is doing in the future. Um, some really cool race cars, some really cool racing, and just shows in general. Like, I, I think it's awesome. We got to go to one, Joey, for sure. Yeah, I mean, anything that Dana White ties his name to, especially now, seems to have quite the success and make uh, buku bucks. Yeah, exactly. So we definitely want to take some notes. You know, bring the yellow notepad to when that guy's talking about how to uh, promote and market something for sure. Pretty That's impressive. Good, good stuff. Weren't you at the, was that was that Rossi's bachelor party or what, what, what was no, that? No, 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 no. We literally just went out there for 20 hours. Rossi's bachelor party is definitely not going to be in Vegas. Probably going to be more of an international location. Who knows? <laughs> I thought I heard rumblings that it was Vegas here coming up for. Uh... Oh, no. Not for a long time. We're letting the season go by before we do that. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, it's kind of interesting timing there. Yeah. But... Whatever. Um, all right, man. Let's let's hop in. It's been a full show. A great one to kick off May. We got to finish with our Ricky Shredway random Mini Five Hundred Driver of the Week. But before we do that, we we have gained new listeners and followers. On, <laughs> at least that's what the numbers say, uh, which is good. But we have gotten messages here recently about who the hell is Ricky Shredway. So do you want to <laughs> take this one over and uh, explain? Yeah. So what's funny about this segment is we do call it the Ricky Treadway Random Mini Five Hundred Driver of the Week. So if you use your Google machines. Maybe just Google him and you'll find that he is a random Indy 500 driver of the week. So <laughs> when we, in the very young hours of the show, you know, our very first few episodes, we came up with this segment um, and and I thought Ricky Treadway was a random Indy 500 driver that you might not know about. Uh, and so that's what this is all about. So if you don't know a name, feel free to put it in the Google machine. Uh, but yeah, Ricky Treadway, he was a driver uh, when I was growing up that, you know, I cheered for, you know, I, I was cheering for the underdog story. Uh, at times, but uh, that's it. So hilarious to receive those messages. Um, that's that's kind of where this segment started, and boy, are we going to continue it right now. We uh, I had Joey pick a year. Uh, we went with 1949, which we have done once before, 1949 Indy 500. Um, 
And we went with the 20th place finisher, which I believe is a new driver for us, uh, George Fonder. George Fonder, uh, the 20th place finisher. Hopefully we have not uh, used him yet, but George I, Thomas. I think I remember hearing this name. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we have. Ben, you can check for us. No, no, no George... I said I don't. I said oh, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Old George Fonder uh, from Elmhurst, Pennsylvania, uh, American race car driver. Uh, looks like he, it's funny, on the Wikipedia, which we use as a informational source that's really cannot be, cannot be confirmed or denied, or it is what it is. Um, looks like in the 1949 Indy 500, the 1952 Indy 500, and it looks like 1954, it says, question marks. We have no idea what was happening there, not sure what was going on, um, but looks like two Indy 500s. Uh, and yeah, that, that's our guy. He had four championship car starts, which is what they basically call, I would say, IndyCar at the time. Two Indianapolis 500s, drove as a relief driver. Ah, that's what the 1954 is. Drove as a relief driver in 1954 for two different teams after failing to qualify his own car. So there you go. And sadly, RIP killed in a midget racing accident. So, uh, was racing midgets and killed in a midget racing accident. Uh, aged forty. So, uh, R.I.P. George Fonder, and uh, that's our that that's it. That's random, huh? That is absolutely random. That is the whole point of the segment, and we look forward to it every week. There is no doubt about it. All right, that's it. That is uh, this week's episode of Speed Streets upcoming this weekend. Uh, the Red Rev is going on, which is always a fantastic event uh, to kick off the month of May out of the track. How are you going to be there for that, or no? Absolutely, yeah. Going to Rev, uh, bringing my lady, going to be a great time, uh, and it is. It's going to be fun. Just, it just kicks it off. Alexander Rossi is the the chairman or whatever. Alex Rossi has never been to Rev, so uh, funny how that works. But he's the chairman guy, uh, so it's going to be a great time. It's super fun. Uh, hopefully, you'll see Connor out there. I will be at the Kentucky Derby, uh, getting my drink on and getting my gambling on for different horses. Uh, which I cannot wait. Um, so it's it's unfortunate because now I go to the Kentucky Derby every year, but I do have to miss Rev because it's the same weekend every year. Uh, and I do really really enjoy Rev because it's fantastic. It gets the juices flowing. You get oh food yeah, there it's great. A lot of juices, cocktails, <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So hopefully you go into that. Say hello to Connor if you are. Uh, one 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 more time. We appreciate Jaime. God, I fucked it up. I don't. I can't. I think you're gonna get it. You can get it this time. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> you said. You said. Jaime Algashwari. Algashwari. Jaime Algashwari. <laughs> we appreciate Jaime Algashwari, a super nice and uh, super super charming fella. Uh, and uh, we are officially in the month of May, folks. It is great to be here, and we cannot wait for the rest of the month. Great things in store, and we'll talk to you next week to preview the GP at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Speed Street. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.